Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Hello, welcome to Kyle Brandt's Basements. Do not adjust your phones, do not adjust your tablets. That is a sweet Atlanta Falcon sweatshirt that I'm wearing. I got this today, like as a little work gift. I'm not from Atlanta, I'm not necessarily a Falcons fan, but I'm a fan of aesthetics and I love that red helmet. My uh, favorite NFL player as a kid was Dion, and when Dion came into the league, they had the Reds. Red helmet, they wore it this past weekend and they won. I do like this year's Falcons team, three and three, scrappy, probably should be four and three, but they got the terrible roughing the passer, who cares? Falcons Bengals this weekend in a terrible, terrible week seven slate. Falcons Bengals each at three and three might be the best game of the week. One o'clock kickoff on that one. How about that? Last week, great. This week, eh. But this show today, awesome. We're going to talk about a very, very famous NFL free agent who may be coming to a Super Bowl winning team, like as soon as today. Um, we're going to talk about quarterbacks, specifically with the New England Patriots, and a couple of things. We've been doing the Josh Allen Film Festival each Tuesday. We have Josh watch a movie from before he was born that he's never seen before. And he really has ruffled some feathers with his latest review of an iconic, really cherished 80s movie. It's for some people, it's like their favorite movie ever made. Josh's review has uh, been really, really making some waves. We're going to get into that and recap the Josh Allen Film Festival. We'll talk 80s movies, 90s movies. You guys love that stuff, I'm sure. Also, you guys participated in We're going to do the social media cemetery today. This is the things on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, that we all just bleep and hate so much, and we're going to kill them, and we're going to bury them. Enough of this. You ready? People who retweet and just say, this, they got to die. That's it. It's over. All right? We're going to do it today, social media cemetery. But first... How about a sky cam? Give me a sky cam. Let's go. I'm gonna go right here. Nice and simple. And I have missed like seven Boo! free throws in a row. Why can't I make one anymore, everybody? I I got hot for a little while. There, I made one. You didn't even see it. All right, let's go. What I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. I need a private shooting coach. Okay, sleepy little Wednesday and a sleepy little NFL season week. I already mentioned that. The games are not great. There is no Chiefs Bills going on this week. and Not even any Jets Packers. But what there is is a little bit of buzz. A little bit of buzz about a very famous Super Bowl champion free agent who is apparently going to be signing with a team soon. His name is Odell Beckham Jr. and it's coming. It could be coming to your favorite team. It could be coming to your favorite team's rival. Rap sheet, my man. Good friend of mine, Ian Rappaport, is on it that he is going to be expected to return to the playing field in November sometime. Guys, my uh, phone says it's October 19th, so we are getting close. If he's returning to the playing field in November, he could be very likely signing on a roster today, next week, tomorrow. We don't know. And this is interesting because I don't think Odell runs the world. I don't think he changes a 2-4 and four team into a Super Bowl champ, but I do think he could put a team over the edge. I do think he could do what he did for the Rams. Odell Beckham Jr. would have been the MVP of that Super Bowl. It was going that way. I know about this. I know Peter Schrager, who is like really tight with Sean McVay. And the entire plan for that Super Bowl against the Bengals was, all right, well, they're going to go after Cooper and they're going to try to contain. We're going to go to Odell all day. And, we, and they did. 
Odell Beckham had a huge first half, blew out his knee as we saw. He would have been the MVP of the Super Bowl. They were going to go to him the whole game. That He was going to be McVay's guy. And he delivered, and he was excellent, and down the stretch, he was doing Odell things. So he shows up, let's say he signs tomorrow on a certain team. Never mind tomorrow, never mind November, never mind December, maybe even not even, never mind the beginning of January. But damn, by the divisional round game or the title game, all of a sudden Odell is Odell, and he can win a game for you? I think this is very interesting. Because the teams that are getting talked about... Let's just say it is not the Commanders, it is not the Bears, it's not even the Falcons. It's the ones that would go from, well, they're one of the best teams in the league, to that could have been the missing piece. Von Miller been doing a lot of talking. Von Miller has one of his Super Bowl rings, in part because of Odell. They're both on the Rams. Von Miller seems to be keep saying he's destined to Buffalo. I don't even know how the fit is exactly. I think the fit is... He's the third guy, and I think it's Steph, and I think it's Gabe Davis, and then everyone can just move the hell over, and Odell comes in there, and kind of like he was for Stafford last year. He's really like the third option, sometimes the second option, maybe. But obviously that would work, and if Brandon Bean wants to go in and say, bleep it, I don't think I've done enough, I want more, I don't think they need Odell. I genuinely don't. The other one, and this one's really good. So, the Kelsey bros, you know them. Travis, the tight end for the Chiefs. Jason, the center for the Eagles. These two brothers are, I think, on two of the best three teams in the NFL now. It's really cool. The Kelsey brothers have never been cooler, never mattered more in the scheme of things. And they got to talking on the New Heights podcast. Jason, who's the de facto host here, asking Travis. Apparently, Travis was asked to restructure his contract right in the middle of the season to allocate some more money to do some things with. And listen to the bros chop it up about Odell potentially joining the Chiefs. Roll the clip. It's a start to a move, right? Like, like you're freeing up you cap so? space to be able to do something, right? You're not. I mean, unless well, they, they could always just, just carry it over. Kindly, kindly giving me the money up front, which I no. genuinely appreciate either way. So you cannot uh, verify or debunk the rumors out there surrounding OBJ, Odell. Odell. Beckham Jr.? I think that's the OBJ I'm referring to. I want them to come true. Something's in the air for sure. And if it means OBJ, all right now. Okay, so Travis is joking around a little bit, but he's not joking about the idea that the Chiefs come to him right in the middle of the season, a great season he's having, and say, we're going to give you some more money up front, we're going to restructure some things because we need to do something with this money. Could be nothing. Could be somebody else. Could be someone's getting an extension in the middle of the season that's already on the roster. Or the Chiefs might say, well, look, we just lost to the Bills. We thought we gave it a pretty good shot. You know, Patrick threw a couple interceptions, maybe a little uncharacteristic, but uh, I don't think we had enough. And the Bills decided last year they didn't have enough. So they went out and they got Vaughn and they did some other things in the draft. Maybe we should do it. So... If the Chiefs do get Odell, that's that's big. That is really big. That is because you know it's going to figure in the divisional round or the title game or maybe even the Super Bowl if they get there. My take on Odell is if he goes to the Chiefs, great. If he goes to Buffalo, great. If he goes to Philly, I really like to see him go to Green Bay personally. What the hell, Green Bay? Why not just for once just go out and get this massive wide receiver free agent? Just see if Rodgers can cook. Just try it. Nothing else is working. I just want him to go somewhere that matters. And I think he does too. If you believe Odell, he wants money, of course. 
And if you believe him that he wants to win another Super Bowl, there's only a, a handful of teams that are really good. I, I, look, if he wants to go to Minnesota, I'm fine with that. If he wants to play with the Justin Jefferson or the LSU guy. I just don't want it to be like, well, Ian Rappaport, uh, breaking news that, you know, the Cardinals have signed Odell Beckham. And this Cardinals sign every other wide receiver in that. Or um, Odell Beckham Jr. has signed a three-year, $60 million deal to become a Houston Texan. Can't have that. Odell, flawed in some ways, obviously now hurt. But he does have sizzle, and he is fun to watch. And last year, again, in the first half of the Super Bowl and other points in that season, he's still electric. I want him to go somewhere that matters. If he goes to the Chiefs, holy bleep. They matter. Tyreek, who? We got Juju, Kelsey, Odell. We got dudes. And then we can do that Chiefs-Bills thing again. And if Bills fans want to say, oh, well, they're just buying a Super Bowl. They're renting it. No, 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 stop. You guys got Von Miller. He is hardly a homegrown Buffalo Bill, and that's fine. That's how the system works. You can get whoever you want, whenever you want. Just please, Odell, go somewhere that matters. Please. Please don't do it. If, if I hear some nonsense that Odell has signed with the Bears, that's a diff- the Bears would never do it. The Bears don't want to keep people they have. But you know what I'm saying when I'm saying. I love the Odell buzz, and I want him somewhere where I love to watch him. That's it. Keep an eye on it. it might happen by the end of the show. I promise we'll bring it to you. In the meantime... Let's talk about something in the AFC, specifically the AFC East, where that is the home of today, at least, for what I hate. All right, I mentioned the Bears a minute ago. The Bears play Monday Night Football. Woohoo! The Bears play Monday Night Football this week, and they play against the Patriots. And the Patriots have all this intrigue because they won a couple games in a row. And all that energy we were putting, I was putting, into the Cooper Rush should be the Cowboys quarterback until he loses conversation has now been reallocated to the Bailey Zappi should be the Patriots quarterback until he loses, if not forever. It's, it's in there. And I, I think there's something that I hate about this whole Bailey Zappi, Mac Jones thing. And it is the obsession with the nostalgia of the New England Patriots from 20 years ago. Here's what happens. Teams that have incredible things happen in their history become infatuated with them happening again. When the Green Bay Packers drafted Jordan Love inexplicably in the first round of the draft, despite having Rodgers in his prime, there were a lot of people who came out and said, well, remember, They drafted Rodgers when they still had Favre, and look what happened. And it was nonsense. It was a stupid comparison for many reasons. One of which, Rodgers was looked at as the number one pick in the draft, and then he fell. Favre had been openly talking about retirement. He talked about it all the time. He kind of was obsessed with it. That's why that happened to the Packers. Jordan Love led the nation in interceptions. (laughs) <laughs> his last year in college football, and the Packers traded up to get him, and Rodgers never said anything about retirement. It wasn't going anywhere. It just wasn't the same thing. But people really wanted it to be, because it's fun to look back and to play the old footage and to wonder, could it happen again? That's what's going on here with New England. People are so seduced by the Bledsoe and Brady thing, in which, think about it as a comparison to Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. You have Bledsoe, this super high first-round draft pick, of course, number one guy, and you have Brady, who is a day three guy, okay? 
comes in, Brady's a legend, Bledsoe, underdog story. It's a great thing. Really, really cool thing 20-some years ago. Now you have Mac Jones, first-round pick. Bailey Zappi, scrappy little dude with a scrappy little name. Comes in, just makes plays, doesn't lose. Day three pick. And the second you start saying, maybe he could replace Mac Jones. You know, he's won two in a row and he plays pretty well. Maybe he could replace... Just like Brady over Bledsoe. It's happening again. This is so cool. The football gods are so awesome. They're helping us again. Just stop it with that. Let me explain why this is not the same thing. Why Mac Jones should not just lose his job to Bailey Zappi. All right? The Brady thing was not some Disney story where he had a fairy godmother who waved her wand and bippity-boppity Brady and he came in and was incredible. The context for Brady coming in, you know the most Mo Lewis hit on the sideline. However, what you might not remember is that the prior season, this is before, you know, before Brady took over, Drew Bledsoe and the Patriots were a 4-12 and team. Really bad. Bledsoe was not getting it done. He could not win really bad 4-12 and season awful. You start the next season. Refreshed, Belichick, William McGinnis, all these guys, all right? They start 0-2. They're just bad. Bledsoe's not winning. 0-2, they play the Jets, hit on the sideline, knocked out. Brady comes in, and he just starts winning. The team starts winning. He's playing well, and they go all the way through the playoffs, and they beat everybody, and they beat the greatest show on turf, and it becomes the greatest story in NFL for the next 20 years. That's not the deal with the Patriots right now, all right? Last year, as a rookie, Mac Jones won a seven, had a seven-game winning streak. Seven games in a row. They started off kind of rocky. Remember, he got the job over Cam Newton, who was supposed to be the starter. He earned the job. First month, not great, but figuring it out. He's a rookie. Seven in a row. They, in that seven-game winning streak, Mac Jones throws two interceptions in seven games. They get to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. And it was like, this is a great story, all right? So Mac has earned that job. Now, this season... He played a crappy game against the Ravens when she threw three interceptions. Sucks. Not his day. He did throw for 300 plus yards, but three picks. That's it. So this is not the Bethel Bledsoe thing. He did not have a 4-12 season. He did not have an 0-2 start. He didn't do all those things that Bledsoe was doing. And believe me when I tell you, Bailey Zappi is not going to do the things that Tom Brady came in and did. So everybody loves history repeating itself. It's really fun. It's really cool to talk about and to tweet about, and to imagine, and to talk on podcasts, but no, I don't think it's the same thing, and I do actually think a lot of the intrigue about Bailey Zappi potentially taking the job has a ton to do with looking back on what happened, and people say, well, Belichick would do it, he answers to nobody, that might be true, but then they go, he's done it before, we know, we know, back when you were in junior high, that was a fun thing that happened, or when you're in college, you're starting out as a sports writer, and that's a really special moment to you, and it is to all of us. But because Belichick went with Brady over Bledsoe does not mean that 22 years later he's going to say, you know, I did do it once before, and even though I like Mac a lot and he played really good football for us, I think I'm going to go with Bailey Zappi because I went with Brady back when I was in my 30s or whatever the hell Belichick was not the same thing. So let's stop it with that. Maybe Bailey Zappi will become the starter. It has nothing to do with that. Mac should have the job back and he should have it back against the Bears who he'll probably kill. That's what I hate. Now, time for a very different, very heavily produced, very Kyle Brandt's basement, What's Hilarious? 
So we find out Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, is going to be joining us every Tuesday for the entire season. We're really excited. And our first challenge was, what do we do that's fun with him? Because we know we're going to talk all the football and all the games and everything. He's great on that. But Josh, Josh is looking to have fun to show different sides of his personality. And we know that he loves movies. And not just, you know, how everybody loves movies. Like, he really is into them. One of the first questions we asked him when he came by in the first appearance was, Josh, you're playing the Rams. You have a long trip to L.A. from Buffalo. What do you do on the plane? I'm a movie guy. I download three movies. I watch that. He loves them. Like, he, he, he loves football. He loves movies. Like, second to that. So we thought, all right, since he was born in 1996, he's 17 years younger than me. And I, I'm the same way with movies. I've seen a lot, and I like them more than the normal person. Um, why don't we do a thing where we'll play with that generation gap, and I'll show him movies from... Before he was born. He's born in 96, so has to come out before he was born. And then I just want his perspective on it. We'll see what he thinks. Watch him, uh, maybe on the plane to road games or at home for home games, and just give him a grade. <laughs> Tell us what you think. And I knew how it wasn't just going to come up great because there are all going to be movies that I like and that probably a lot of you like. But I've known how this goes because for my whole upbringing, especially my mom, is always trying to get me to watch movies that are from the 70s or the 60s or whenever she was young. And it just doesn't translate sometimes. I'll watch some things that, I don't know, Mom, I'm just not, it's not doing it for me. I, I don't know how many times you want me to watch Out of Africa with Robert Redford. It's not resonating. Sure, it's a beautiful movie, but like, I want to watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That, that's my stuff. So I've seen this happen before. It's the same thing with music. We'll do that another time with another guest. But... We got after it, and we started recommending movies to him. And every time, and it's what's so cool is that he's going to win the MVP this year, maybe the Super Bowl. He always, he never comes back. He's like, you know, I've had a busy week. Uh, you know, I'm getting ready for the Steelers. I, I couldn't watch the movie. I'm sorry, man. He always watches it. <laughs> it's, it's like he does his homework, and not only does he watch it, he has thoughts. So yesterday he came on, and he had seen The Princess Bride. Now, he's been giving these things letter grades Anywhere from, you know, a B, A minus, an A, a B plus, positive grades. Here's what else I respect about Josh. He comes in and says, look, the, the Princess Bride wasn't for me. I fell asleep. He gives it a C. Now, that is something to people my age, people in their 40s, probably in 50s, 60s, is personal. Like, that's a reason to fight. That, that is a special movie with special performances and great memorable lines, and there's been books about it and documentaries, and that it's a landmark movie. Rob Reiner, you know it, as you wish, all that stuff. You know, this guy. Inconceivable! And he just did not like it. Not only did he not like it, he fell asleep. So I respect that he was honest. So since he's alarmed a lot of people, I thought now we're getting close to the midway of the se- part of the season. Why don't we just take a look back? Because I think his reviews are very genuine, in a way, kind of sweet and innocent and sometimes hilarious. So we're just going to go quickly through where we've gone so far with the Josh Allen Film Festival. Please join us. The first film we assigned him, he was going to L.A., as I mentioned. So we said, all right, L.A., Heat. Heat, uh, one of my favorite movies ever. Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, you know the scene. Wayne Grow, all that. If you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. And so uh, this movie comes out in the mid-90s. Michael Mann, iconic. I'm going to keep saying that word. Josh watches it for the first time ever, and here's his thoughts. Yes, I watched Heat. I really liked it. It reminded me like a, a West Coast, the town. Like it was a very similar plot. Uh, the town with Ben Affleck and uh, Jeremy, Ren- yeah. Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought they were very similar plots. It's always like the, the, 
main protagonist falls in love with the girl that he's not supposed to fall in love with. They're going to leave town. His buddy ends up dying. Like, in the, like there was a lot of similarities. So I don't know if there's anything yep. taken from the from heat into the town. Yes, there was, in fact, a lot taken from heat into the town. But that's what's so funny is that he, the town is his generation. I like that movie, too. But he'll often do it backwards that you or I might do it. We're like, man, you know, heat reminded me a lot of the town. And it's like, oh, no, Josh, the town reminds people a lot of heat. So he gave it a B, which I said, all right, we're, we got something here. Because anybody of my age is like, oh, heat is just an A, not an A+. He started out with a B, which I think is funny. And it's him saying that heat kind of reminds him of the town is like saying, yeah, Groundhog Day. It kind of reminds me, um, have you seen that movie Edge of Tomorrow where with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt where it keeps repeating? No, <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow is Groundhog Day with machine guns and aliens, but that's not for him. That's his. That's the Josh Allen Film Festival. So moving on. Um, then we did uh, Shawshank. All right, now Shawshank, we were going to have a problem if he's like, eh, but he watched the Shawshank Redemption for the first time ever, and here was Josh Allen's review. I've seen enough Family Guy to get some of the references of Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah, the movie was fantastic. That's a, a solid A for me. Like, no no minus, no plus. That was one of the, the better movies, especially the ending was, was awesome. Okay, great. I, that's another funny thing, is that this has come up a few times. He watches a lot of Family Guy. I, I actually do too. But a lot of these movies, Shawshank, and he's also mentioned Roadhouse, he's seen so many of the Family Guy spoofs of it, that like, he already knew what happens to Andy Dufresne at the end of Shawshank. He knows the whole plot. So, I mean, when I saw Shawshank for the first time, I watched it in my dad's basement. I sat down. I hadn't seen it in the theaters. A lot of people hadn't. There was no internet at the time. So when, when the warden pulls the poster off, like, I almost fainted. I was so shocked. And I got goosebumps, and I, I was so emotionally blown away, and it was a great ride that it took us on. Josh saw him rip the poster off, and he's like, oh, yeah, like, Peter Griffin had, had you know, tunneled out, and Quagmire had helped him. Like, he already knew. Such a strange thing, but he gave Shawshank an A. So um, another one we got to. Same thing, 90s movie. Academy Award winning, The Fugitive, Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones. You switched the samples. You know it. We had Josh watch The Fugitive. Here's his thoughts. I give it a solid B. I really, I there wasn't there wasn't too much dialogue. Um, you know, it was kind of a quiet movie. But again, the chase the chase scenes. It was kind of Fast and Furious like, where some of the the escapes were a little out of this world, but. Um, yep. Again, I think that's what kind of makes it this movie. But Harrison Ford is, he's awesome. All right. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. So I, it's interesting that he pointed out the dialogue. See, that's, he sees it differently than we do. I would never in a million years say that The Fugitive is like Fast and the Furious. But he does jump off a bus that's about to get hit by a train. It was a little dramatic. And he, you know, there's some other things that are a little much, but I think the dialogue is good. I, I like the dialogue. Devlin McGregor could bring you Provasic. Did you kill Lens too? Uh, Richard, I'm in the middle of this speech. I love it all. Josh decided it was a solid B. So Heat and Fugitive, which are like, 
those those are <laughs> it might be both in my top 10 movies ever made ever a B. So lastly though, we have done comedy. He gave Vacation, which Peyton Manning came on the show and recommended he watch, an A minus. I don't know, is Vacation A minus? Groundhog Day a B plus. But here was his review given to us yesterday of the 1987 classic, classic, Wesley, Buttercup, Prince Humperdinck, Andre the Giant, and Josh Allen comes in and says this about watching The Princess Bride for the very first time ever. I don't fall asleep during movies very often. I fell asleep during this movie. (laughs) I can't give anything over a C, and I know people are going to roast me for that because I looked at, as I was kind of contemplating this, I was like, I looked at the IDM, IBMD score. I looked at the Rotten Tomato score, and yeah. it's like ninety-seven yeah. percent, nine out of ten. <laughs> and, and so, like, I I know I'm in the wrong, but that's how I feel. Can't give it anything above a C. And if you listen to that clip again, you and I both know he did not want to give it a C. I think he wanted to give it a D or even an F. I think he gave it a C just to just to be generous. And I've been thinking about this for 24 hours now. I think a lot of what goes on now is that the movies and entertainment that these younger people than I are exposed to, it's a question of pacing. It really is. Like, they go. They go really quickly. Um, If you look at something like Top Gun Maverick that's just overtaken everything, Maverick is up there doing Mach 10 in the first three minutes of the movie. It, It goes, and it does not wait. Princess Bride... Fred Savage isn't feeling good. His parents, oh, your grandfather's coming in. Is he going to pinch my cheek again? Then it's this doddering old grandfather. Here's the book. Is this a kissing book? It, it, it's, it takes a while. Think about before Wesley and Inigo Montoya are actually having the sword fight. That's got to be 25 minutes. And there's the eels and everything, but it's just slow. And then there's romance, and it's slow. I think that's going to be a problem. And as we look forward to some of the other movies we're going to talk about with Josh, things like Die Hard. You and I are like, oh, Die Hard's perfect. Can't touch Die Hard. Starts out a little slow, guys. Hans Gruber doesn't show up until like 20 minutes into the movie. John's arguing with Holly, and he's learning to make fists with his feet. Like, I'm telling you, we are not going to be satisfied with all the ratings that Josh gives for the rest of the season. There's going to be more of what happened to the Princess Bride. I know it. I know it is. So that's it right there. He gave Princess Bride a C. If you have thoughts on it, please tweet us. If you have movies, you're just like, they have to be before 1996. I think he was born in March or May. Before, Let's say before May of 96. Tweet us. Tweet the show at KB Basement or tweet Josh Allen 17 as well. Take the recommendations because the film festival will go on. We will get through this. And just one more time with feeling. Inconceivable! Let's move on to a brand new segment. We've been working on this one. You've been helping us. It is time to go to the graveyard, my friends. This is a little something that we call Social Media Cemetery. Do you have ambitious hiring goals for the last quarter of 2022? With a powerful hiring partner, big goals are no big deal. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at Indeed.com basement. 
Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash basement. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. Okay, a little spooky, right? Beautiful uh, gravestones here with the Instagram logos and the Twitter logos. Uh, I have a problem with social media. I don't, I'm not addicted to contributing, but I scan like everybody else does. Sometimes I try to tell myself it's because of work or my job, but I also think that there's just a full-on addiction going on. So with that, I consume a lot of it, and with that, in that consumption, there's a lot of things that I hate. And it's not like I go into a rage. I'm just tired of looking at them. I'm tired of hearing this phrase. I'm tired of seeing this gif. I'm tired of the same old stupid meme with the clown makeup or whatever the hell it is. So I said to you, I said, guys, what should we just bury in the social media cemetery? It's done. It's dead. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Never want to see it. Tweet it, consume it, read it again. And you had thoughts. Um, you had You had a lot of thoughts. So... Probably the number one thing that we got, and this is a big, big sports thing. Um, we got it over and over and over again, and it is this expression that is going on all throughout the NFL, and it is, this player is him. <laughs> so it'll be like the clip of Devontae Adams scoring a touchdown. Devontae Adams is him. Or it'll be Stefan Diggs, who is the first person I ever heard it from was Diggs. He says it a lot. Screaming on the sideline, I am him. That's everywhere. And that was your most popular submission. I'm a little loath to bury it because I still feel like it's brand new. I do. I feel like I started hearing that this football season. And believe me, I understand where you're going, that it is obnoxious. Maybe even detestable sometimes. But at least it is taking the place of some of these things that have been around for so long, like right now. The one that I really hate, that I'm burying, and this is this year's He Is Him was last year and the season before's Devontae Adams is a problem. All capitals. Oh my gosh. The worst. Um, Aaron Donald is a problem. It's fine. It was a different phrase to start, and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. But then it's just every single person became a problem. And that's inherently the problem, is everyone can be a problem. And every team social media person, every meme maker, every Instagram account is a problem, is a problem, is a problem. You're a problem, because you can't think of anything original. Is a problem for me is so dead. Don't do that. I think is a problem has gone now. And there's another one involving a canine that we're going to get into in a second, but... I think I am him, while it is real and I really an eye roller, it's kind of still fresh on the block. We got a whole season still of I am him. So mine really is is a problem. 
I can't have that. I, I just can't do it anymore. Let's see what you guys have. Come join me in the cemetery. I brought booze. We'll pass around a bottle of whiskey. All right. Old friend of mine, Ross Tucker, NFL, longtime NFL veteran. You know him all over media. He just says, this didn't age well. And I love this. And I hope this dies and rots. And I absolutely detest it. Because this didn't age well is what stupid, uncreative people who have never had an opinion on anything do about opinions that have sat on the shelf and no longer look accurate because things have changed. So there's a whole group of people who go through social media who find opinions or thoughts or perspectives from weeks, months, even years ago that have changed because the players started being good or started being bad or whatever, and they just tweet, huh, it's usually actually the sarcastic version, this aged well, dot, dot, dot. That's your thought? You spent minutes doing that? That's all, if you ever have an opinion of your own that you want to share, or a thought, or a perspective, or some insight. I, I've gotten that a few times, it always bothers me so much. Yeah, listen, I, I said that, you know, the, the Rams run defense last year around week six was, wasn't great at all. And then three months later, they turned it around, and I get a tweet, this aged well. Well, the Rams changed! Don't you understand? I hate this age well. That is one of my least favorite tweets of all time because it adds nothing. It necessitates nothing between your ears. There's no original thought. It's just flicking someone for having an old opinion. It sucks. You tweet this age well, I'm going to get a hundred of them about this segment, and I understand that. I signed up for that. This didn't age well, or this aged well is, is awful. Next, Johnny Ringo. That's what this guy calls himself. I'm your Huckleberry. All right, this is classic. This is a classic Twitter thing. He, he, he tweets... When people only reply with this. So what Johnny Ringo's talking about is typically I see that as retweets. Someone has a rant about, man, the Packers need to da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And someone replies and just does all capital, this. It's just unnecessary. I can see why you think it's obnoxious. Just retweet. You don't need to put a word up there. Just retweet. Or if you, if you want to retweet with a comment, you have to do something more than this. Just know that when you retweet with this, a lot of people are making fun of you for doing it. And a lot of people hate that you did it. So if you're doing it ironically, good for you, you're hilarious. But if you're actually retweeting with the word this, people detest it. They're not going to be reactive. They don't like it and they're talking about you behind your back. So stop doing that. Next, Joey. All right, I got to put the basketball down for this one. This is an audio one. Ready? Joey tweets, clapping between every word as if it makes your point more valid. How annoying was just listening to me do that? I, I, I wish I could undo that. I regret it. That is an awful, awful, awful way to tweet. It's so cheesy. It's so corny. The clap emojis are annoying to look at. They're all over it. I can't read it. You think you're Winston Churchill speaking to thousands and millions of people because you can tap the clap emoji just type it type it just type the thought just type this you know people sh uh, shouldn't applaud at the end of movies you don't have to go people shouldn't applaud at the it's it's the worst i hate it i hate it hate it hate it hate it hate it hate it and yet there is an ugly twin brother of clapping between every word look at the next tweet Oh no, Jesse Shamp. Jesse tweets, and I'll read it like he tweets. Writing, tweets, 
with periods between every word. Put it down like old yeller, but without the sadness. Great. And that's no better. The period after every word, again, what bothers me about it is that what you, you think this, the statement you're making is so great and you're just so strong. And you're, again, it's you're in an auditorium or you're in a, a, like a city center or a courtyard somewhere and people are just enamored with what you're saying. Just what an incredible tweet. Oh, I've never seen one like it and I'm totally just going to spend the rest of my afternoon contemplating it. Enough with the clapping hands. Enough with the stupid periods between each one. And go, if you want to go find and see if I've done these tweets before, I don't think I have, but I might have. I don't care. I'm not innocent. I'm here sharing. Like, I, I messed up, too, and I'm ready to get rid of these, too. But I don't think I've done the one word at a time. Certainly not as long as that. As this person says, put it down like old yeller, but without the sadness. And they go on forever. Jesse, great tweet. Stop doing those, guys. It's going right there in the cemetery. You. The person who thinks they're going to funny because they're funny because they're going to reply to the segment when it's on Twitter by doing one of these tweets, don't do it. Stop doing it. Just write what you want to say. It's hard enough to communicate these days. Don't do the periods and the claps. Keep going. All right, this one's good. I know where this is going. Adam. This is Adam from Toronto. Um, blank woke up and chose violence today. He writes, no, they're not. They're not choosing violence. Stop it. They're hiding behind a keyboard. This is uh, a Game of Thrones reference in which, um, what's her name? The, the queen, it's been a while. The queen uh, gets up and she says, uh, he, she's confronted and she's got the, the mountain next to her and the, the person who's like with the church now says, uh, you know, stand aside or there will be violence. And she says, I choose violence. And it's a great line. It's, it's a really cool moment. But the person woke up and choose violence today. Why? Because you decided to get up and make a tweet about the Chargers kicker? That's choosing violence? It's, it's, it cut this tweet. That expression worked for about a year after the Game of Thrones when it happened. I believe that season was like three years ago. In fact, maybe four years ago. If you're still doing woke up and chose violence, you're behind the times, you're lame, people are making fun of you, they're unfollowing you, and even worse, they're probably not unfollowing you if they know you, they're just muting you. They're just muting. So st stop, don't choose the choose violence tweet. Are, are we making progress today? Because that thing's dead. That thing's dead like the mountain squished its head. Next, Nunya, whose name I can only assume, his last name is probably business. All right, Nunya, Wishing a happy anniversary to a spouse on social media. <laughs> he writes, just say it to them. Putting it on social means it's more for you and attention than for them. Nanya, I don't know if we have time to properly dissect all of the ins and outs of what you're saying here. I'm not a massive... 21 years ago, I met this brown-eyed brunette and my life has never been the same. There is a certain person who does that. And my take on that is that they don't really want to do it for themselves. They're not doing it to have a moment and say, look how great my wife is. They're doing it because their wife wants it. And their wife kind of expects it, or their husband. And because their wife's friends got it back in April when it was their anniversary or their birthday, and then you're their wife 
liked it and commented on it. And so, you know, it's, it's 6, 17 p.m. and their wife is sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and where's my tweet about love of my life and hashtag blessed and with the little fingers together making a heart. Where's that? She wants that. And she's gonna be mad if she doesn't get that. I don't do it much and my wife doesn't do it much for me and I'm not looking for it. I can see why it's insufferable though. All right, we have to, we have to do one more. Let's see. Um, yeah, this one's good. Jake Fay, tell me your blank without telling me your blank. Um, does that make sense to you? If not, it's it'll be, uh, tell me you didn't see one down of that football game without saying you didn't see one foot down of that football game. That's what it is. It's that cool little, I'm so witty on Twitter and I have this great sentence construction where I set you up and then I ding you because I've seen a hundred other people do it and I'm a stupid booger eating lemon who just cool, just tweets the next thing that I saw and I don't have any original thoughts or any original joke construction. It's the worst. The person who does tell me you're blank without actually telling me you're blank is the same thing who goes around finding tweets and says, this aged well, <laughs> my work is done here. Guys, speaking of work done, I thought that was a great social media cemetery segment. That was great. We could do a, a, an entire fresh podcast on that. It's just, that's what it's called, social media cemetery. It's twice a week. We do it here in Omaha, and we the whole episode is just burying things right here in this murky graveyard. It's perfect for October. It's spooky season right now, right? That's social media cemetery. Um, but right now, I think we have Michael Flynn with his transitions glasses in something that we call brand awareness. Let's do it. There he is. What's up, Flynn? It's great to see you. You are in the house with all the kids and you got the stickers in the background. Before we get to the headlines that we missed that we're staying aware of, would you like to add anything to the social media cemetery? I would. I am definitely guilty of the spouse wishing a happy anniversary. But as a uh, sports producer, you kind of have to be on the clock, around the clock. And you can't really do that without your Twitter notifications. So I have them on for you because I need to know what you're thinking. I have them on for our sure. show. And then you put them on for your NFL insiders, your Schefters, your Rapports, yep. your Pelissaros. And my least favorite thing is when I get one that's just eyeball emojis or exclamation point emojis because I'm expecting it's going to be something that's huge breaking news and it's a baseball highlight or something that is not at all having to deal with what we're producing on the show. One of them, I'm not going to name any names, tweeted, this is incredible right before we started taping today. And I thought, oh my God, did Odell announce that he signed somewhere? And it was just your um, little giants from Good Morning Football. So that's the thing that I think needs to be buried in the social media cemetery. I like it. Uh, I've, I've spoken at length uh, as well about the eyeballs emoji. Um, Sometimes if they if they do it looking down to breaking news, that's just their way of saying this. I don't like the standalone eyeball emoji around NFL free agency time. That happens a lot. And uh, what it usually will be is a player on a team, let's just say X wide player, X wide receiver, will just tweet an eyeball emoji. And it's like, oh my God, they're gonna sign that quarterback. They're gonna da 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 da. There's no explanation. All it is is a cheap attention grab. It usually doesn't even pan out. Um, or it's the player itself who's a free agent who just does eyeball, eyeball. I absolutely detest that as well. I'm glad you put it in there. It's not as big during the season, but in the off season, certainly in the NFL cycle, it's massive. What is in the headlines that I need to be made aware of? 
So, what's in the headlines? First up, the football world definitely amused on Sunday when special teamer Brendan Schooler recovered a muffed punt and attempted to hand it to an unamused Bill Belichick on the sideline. Belichick addressed the interaction this week, saying, It's always exciting for guys to make plays and exciting for all of us. We're happy when we make them, but yeah, just got to move on, go to the next play. Kyle, I feel like we need to know why Schooler did this. It's a great, it's a great point. Brendan Schooler is an undrafted rookie on the Patriots from Texas. He's interesting looking. He has long, long red hair. He kind of looks like um, the flying tomato, like the snowboarder guy. So and he continues the Patriots tradition of an undrafted rookie making the team. It's 19 years in a row. Someone who didn't even go in the seventh round makes their 53-man roster. It's just what they do, and it makes them the Patriots. So he shows up, and in the middle of the game, the, a player muffs a punt on the opposition, and Schooler recovers it. And it's a great moment for him. He falls on it, and the Patriots have the ball, and they're going to win the game. If you've not seen this clip, it's so crazy. He sprints to the sideline. As he's sprinting, this guy's probably 22. He starts pointing out someone. I don't know who, but then you go to Belichick in the middle of this, on his sideline in the middle of the game, and he's got the headset on, and he's just in the classic kind of cantankerous Belichick mode. And Brendan Schooler, with his glorious red hair, comes up behind him and hands him the football. Like, um, it, with kind of with the mannerisms and the body language of your seven-year-old who comes up to their mom on Mother's Day and hands them the card or the macaroni necklace that they made in kindergarten, he comes up to Belichick and hands him the ball like as if it's a game ball. And Belichick looks and he doesn't speak, but his whole body language is, what, what is this? What are you doing? Why, why are you handing me this football? Doesn't grab it, doesn't even put his hands up, and then there's the special teams coach who comes from behind and says, come here, come here. No, 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 no. Get out of here. Get out. Like he saves this rookie. He's like, leave coach alone, leave coach alone. And it's a crazy, hilarious image. So we had some fun with on a good morning football. And then Jason McCourty, my co-host, former Patriot, his brother Devin is current Patriot. He had a charity event this week. Jason did with his brother. And it's a bowling thing and they raised money. So a lot of the Patriots showed up. And this rookie with the red hair... Brendan Schooler is there. And Jason says, like, what were you doing, man? Like, in the middle of the game, you thought Belichick needed to have a game ball because you recovered a fumble on special teams? What are you doing? And Brendan Schooler says that one of the assistant coaches put him up to it, like a rookie prank, and said something to the effect of, hey, you know, if you ever recover a ball or you get a ball... Go give it to Coach Belichick. Like, that would mean a lot to him coming from a rookie. You know, he probably went on and on. You know, Coach used to coach in Cleveland back in the day. These games always mean a lot to him. You're an undrafted guy. He has a soft spot for you. Bill loves special teams. You should go give it to Coach. Like, he would really like that, man. I think that would mean a lot to him. And it's like, okay, sure, yeah. And he goes and does it. It's on camera, and that's just so funny. It's so funny that he did it even without that story, but then when you find that someone put him up to it, that's the greatest rookie type of prank I've ever heard. I, I, I've heard of things before in which Brett Favre, back in the day, when he was really, really, um, really young, maybe Falcons, or certainly early Packers, when there was a new ball boy, he would come up to him before the game and say, I need you to find me uh, a left-handed football. 
And they'd be like, what? Yeah, I, I, like, I need a left-handed football. And like these, like, oh my God, Brett Favre, I have to find one. And they go on, like, do we have any left-handed footballs? There's another one in baseball where Bat Boys, players will say to Bat Boys, um, you know, we've been flying in the altitude here. I need a bat stretcher. You know, the, the wood has been condensed and my bat's not the same. Can you please go find a bat stretcher? And so you go and you find the equipment chief or whatever and say, do we have any bat stretchers? And they know that one of the guys messed with you. This is great, though, because it's on TV in a game and it's, you know, it's the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate head coach who not only has been through everything, but is also notoriously cranky. And it's this, like, you know, silly looking rookie undrafted with long red hair. And I'm telling he goes up to him like he's giving him a sword. Like, I, I actually am shocked that Brendan Schooler did not go to one knee and hand it to him like he's presenting like the, the Holy Grail or something. It is so funny. And then you find out that they mess with them. We need more of this. Please copy this in mo- years moving forward. Do it to the next Patriot. Because, Flynn, like, this is the story that keeps getting better. And I know you like it, too. It's great. There has to be some awareness. He's obviously watched football his whole life. If there's one coach who you would never just go up to on the sideline in the middle of the game, it's Belichick. I know. I know. I know. It's not like he did it to... Uh, Zach Taylor or you know yeah. somebody new it wasn't Brian Dayball but again you're on the sideline your adrenaline's up another coach told him you should do it and I think he's an excitable young rookie who might be let's just say a bit of a different thinker anyway so he just went for it God bless him yeah next up Deshaun Jackson recently said he's not retired just a free agent and apparently that was true the Ravens have signed the former All-Pro to their practice squad the move makes sense. Rashad Bateman's out. They need another receiver. Kyle, what do you think? I think you can start the clock right now that Deshaun Jackson's going to have like an 87-yard touchdown. I know what's going to happen. It's what he was put on this planet to do. It's what he's always done. He's not going to go great. He's not going to have eight catches a game. They're not going to suddenly start taking off as an offense. But there will be one play where they chuck it to him, and he's going to catch it for a huge, huge touchdown in which he'll probably go backwards over the goal line and possibly will even drop the ball before he crosses the goal line. Raw numbers here. Deshaun Jackson is purely, purely one of the great all-time home run hitters. Home run hitters. I'm not, not doubles, not singles. Home, he is just a guy who's up there to jack. He is Adam Dunn. He is Ryan Howard. You, you pick Jim Tomey. You, you name whoever you want. Strikes out a lot, but he's up there to hit jacks. With the Eagles... Deshaun Jackson had over, he had seven plays of over 70 yards. Seven touchdowns of over 70 yards. Five receiving, two punt returns. Seven to- a 70-plus yard play, you could have a Hall of Fame career and never have one. Just third long. He had seven of them with Philly. Goes to Washington. Three touchdowns of over 70 yards. All right? Then he goes to Tampa. Remember he was with Tampa? He was with Jameis? Had another touchdown of over 70-plus yards. He now has 11. Keep on cruising. He was with the Rams for like five seconds. you remember that? Well, in that five seconds, he had a 70-plus yard touchdown. Another one. 12 for his career. Goes to the Raiders. Doesn't have one. That's the only place he hasn't. I bet he will with the Ravens. Lamar will chuck it to him. I'm going to count it right now. We'll play it back. I think it's going to be a 78-yard touchdown to Deshaun Jackson. And God bless him. Flynn... I hope he goes to John Harbaugh on the sideline and presents him the game ball, <laughs> as, as, as every good player should to the head coach. <laughs> Harbaugh's going to need him to in the fourth quarter. 
Yes, he is. Finally, finally, UFC Commissioner Dana White got approval from the Nevada State Athletic Commission to move forward with his Power Slap League. And if you're wondering what that is, you don't have to wonder too much. You got some of those videos behind you. It's exactly what it sounds like. Kyle, will you be on the first card? (laughs) Um, All right. So to the people, I know Flynn consumes us all the time. To the people who have not seen this, have you bleeping seen this thing? Dana White is launching the Power Slap League in which these people just stand there and get the ever-living crap slapped out of them. There is no defense. You don't dodge. You don't block. You stand there like a gentleman and you just go, all right, go ahead. Give me your best shot. 340 pound bald man with a huge beard at what point is one of these guys heads gonna come off their shoulders i like ufc i like boxing like all kinds of martial arts i don't know if this is for me maybe this might be the moment that either i'm too old or too soft i don't i don't think i want to watch this all right so here we go if apparently the the rules um Two competitors slap each other (laughs) Um, until one of them gets knocked unconscious or concedes. So that guy's out because he just fell down. This, oh, (laughs) it's so pure. It's right in the kisser. So if you say enough. So in other words, bam, right in the face. You stay conscious. You want to get in. Of course you want to get in because you just took one. Now you're going to give it back. Boom! You've now had one each. They're both conscious, but the guy who just took the slap, who's now up to slap, might say, no, I'm out, I tap, I concede. But here's the chess match. Maybe it's not as totally idiotic as it might look. Picture this. You've slapped him once, he didn't pass out or concede. He slaps you. It's hell on earth. You're definitely concussed, you have loose teeth, you might have a broken eardrum, but damn it, you still want to win. So you can say, I certainly don't want to go through that again, but I don't want to quit. So it's my turn now. If I can eliminate him with this giant thunderous slap to the face, I win. And I don't have to get slapped again. I already got slapped once. I might as well try to win. Here's the problem though. What if your second slap still doesn't knock out? Then you got to take a second one. I have not not seen a lot of this. I imagine that's when a lot of the concession takes place. About, damn it, I've hit this guy twice. I basically crow hopped to hit him with everything I have, and he's still not unconscious. I just, how are there not major, major life-changing injuries from this? Because I see the guys have earplugs in, and maybe that kind of protects them. But I also see a hand the size of a canned ham coming flying in him with 120 mile per hour exit velocity and paint brushing his face. So what if they miss and the butt of their hand goes right into your ear or your eye or your nose or your mouth? That is a permanent injury. So you might say, yeah, but man, they make huge, huge money. I don't think they do. We looked it up and Flynn, do you have any information on this? Like, are they making, I don't know if they're making millions. Are they making hundreds of thousands if they win this thing? Is it a quarter million dollar prize? What are they making? I don't think that they're quite there. What we could find was that the most famous uh, slap fighter is named Vasily the Dumpling Kamatsky. 
He is uh -huh. considered the Muhammad Ali of slap fighting. And in 2019, he won one of their bigger tournaments and won okay. what equated to $465. <laughs> Four, I, all right. I thought you were going to say $465,000 for the dumpling. $465? bucks. You could do that like in a couple shifts at Applebee's. Like if you work really hard and make huge tips and it's a Friday night and you don't ever, ever get hit. So I guess they're just doing it for the machismo or the life experience or the internet fame. Like look at this guy. He seems to be having a really good, up until that happens. And now, sorry, you just lost. It's great though. I, I like where it's going. I just only worry about there's going to be competitive leagues and even competitive sports uh, to take out the power slapping league. Like I heard that there is a new put your hand into a disposal and flip the switch league and you just keep your whole hand down there until you concede or pass out. So the competitive disposal league is coming for these guys. There's also one where you just do you put your junk into a fan and just how long can you stand there until the fan clogs or you get castrated or you concede. So the junk fan league the hand disposal league, competitive disposal, they're coming for this. So it's it's all happening, guys. The sport is changing. And just, I've always looked into the future in the sort of idiocracy sense, idiocracy. UFC was once thought unthinkable. You can't do that. You can't have those little gloves. Guys can't kick each other in the head, all that. Now it's massive, massive international. Where are we going with this? Because I've always wondered and looked ahead. At what point will we have UFC but with weapons? Put them in the in the octagon, and they both got a couple of batons, or baseball bats, or samurai swords, or chainsaws, or anything. Are we are we fifty years from that? Are we twenty? Are we five? And oh crap, the guy died. But man, we did huge numbers. I'm telling you, this is so unbelievably stupid. This should just be a gif of one guy getting slapped in the face. But it's a sport. And like, look how many people are there. They all have their phones up. It's all, there's uniforms. There seems to be some sort of mat. You got these spotters. How about these spotters? How about their line of work? What do you do, Keith? Well, I'm in the power slap league and I'm one of the guys who when the guy gets his head slapped off his shoulders, his body goes limp and falls down and I got to catch him. And let me tell you, they are dead weight because they are unconscious as bleep. And I imagine these guys maybe want to be slappers one day. Look at that guy. Imagine, and there's actual like sweat and sinew coming off their head. There's an, a de facto power slap splash zone, like a freaking Shamu. It, this is some sport. Do you want to go to this? Would you be there at the power slap? And also, I just can't, the money has to be bigger. Has to be. Because if these guys are making 50 grand, of course, do it. Sure, who cares if you can't hear out of one of your ears? But if they're making a couple hundred bucks, I don't understand it. I, I, it's funny to look at. I don't know why you do it. Power slap. My, I'll tell you what. I'm going to do fantasy power slap. This guy, that's my first pick. Because he stands up. He's not out. This guy out. Takes one, but I watch on the next one. He takes another one. Ha ha, you flinched. Watch this guy. Good night. Oh, wait. Where's the clip? He goes down in one of them. Maybe I missed it. There's one where he goes down. Either way, I'm doing fantasy power slap. There he is. See you later. Nighty night. And I want you in with me. We'll start a league with my friends. Flint, could there possibly be another story or is that brand awareness? No, I, I think this segment jumped the shark when you brought up the fan league. I think we're good. Yeah, probably. 
<laughs> probably did. But uh, I, I am competitive disposal is going to be a thing. Flynn, we will see you tomorrow. That is brand awareness. It's been a hell of a show today. Let's go to the Sky Camp to wrap up the show. Uh, I threw all my darts already, so I got to go for a walk to get one. How about that, that power slap? And it'll probably be successful. And then there's going to be celebrity power slap. That's what we should have asked. What celebrity do you want in the celebrity power slap league? I don't know. Is Butterbean still around? Is that guy still alive? They, they all look like him. So I'd go Butterbean. Whatever number I hit, there's a random topic that correlates to it. Guys, guess what? Two, week, two days in a row, 13. Do we have a replacement 13? Yesterday it was about, let's go back here. It was about uh, candy corn. So what's the topic today? 13. Oh, that's perfect. I got that one. Best athlete came in. Let me come on up here back to the sky cam. So there's a lot you could talk about. And um, I have a second place and I have a first place. Best athlete cameo in a movie. Second place, little movie directed by Cameron Crowe called Singles, which was a de facto grunge movie in which the band called Citizen Dick with Matt Dillon, Eddie Vedder, Jeff Amen, Stone Gossard, all about Seattle, great soundtrack. Uh, and there is a sex scene with uh, Campbell Scott and I believe Kira Sedgwick in which uh, Campbell Scott is trying not to complete the session and he looks up and kind of hallucinates and sees the X-Man, Xavier McDaniel from the Seattle Supersonics come in and tell him not to finish. It's an incredible, R-rated, great, memorable moment. Look it up, that's the second best one. How do you beat the X-Man in a sex scene, making a cameo in full uniform? I'll tell you. Um, it's Halloween time, a lot of people are watching scary movies. Probably this weekend, there's a good chance you might be like, man, you know, I'd like to watch a scary movie by myself, with my wife, whatever, with my kids. Um, the Exorcist is absolutely horrifying and terrible and really, really bad stuff going on there. You know The Exorcist, 1973. Exorcist Part 2 is awful. Don't ever watch it. It sucks. It's a, just a complete pile of crap. However, The Exorcist Part 3, ironically, starring George C. Scott, which is Campbell Scott's father. Wow. George C. Scott, The Exorcist 3 is very scary, and there's some parts that are terrifying. But you will not believe this. There is this crazy sequence. I haven't seen it in a while, but it's like a dream sequence or a vision of hell or something. And they're going through, and there is this giant figure who has these huge wings on it, like an angel of death. And I kid you not, in this very, very serious installation to a very serious franchise about demon possession and hell and exorcisms, the person playing the angel of death is Patrick Ewing. I'm not joking. Patrick Ewing is in The Exorcist 3. It's not someone who looks like him. It's not someone playing him. It is the real Patrick Ewing, very young, either right out of Georgetown or still in Georgetown. I think that was maybe the connection is that those movies originate from Georgetown and in the DC area. But uh, look it up. Patrick Ewing, Exorcist 3, as an angel, best athlete cameo in a movie. That's all you do. Um, guys, that's it. It's been a hell of a show here from the basement. Thank you for your submissions for a social media cemetery. Let me know if you're joining the Fantasy Slap League. And tweet me if you watch The Exorcist 3. It's scary. And yet, there's an NBA player in it, which doesn't sound scary, but take my word for it. 
I'm out of here. I'm out of breath. Love you. See you tomorrow.